There is no one like our God. Amen? No, that, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's weak. There is no one like our God. You know, you uh, take a look around here and, and just looking at the different faces, uh, as I even look in the choir and, and up here on stage and out there, you know the God we've been singing about. You know what that's all about. And you know how powerful God has been to take care of you throughout this week. And so because we have a great God, we also have a great, a great commission. Go into all the world. Go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, people who love God and love people. And as you're doing that, you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to teach them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded. You, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And that's the great commission that God has given us. And so today, as we continue and, and actually finish up our, our study through Acts, and you can get your notes out and open your notes there on the phone, but as you see uh, the book of Acts, as we've been reading, as we've looked and we've studied, we know that the book of Acts has been this story about the people of God that, that heard and they saw Jesus resurrected and they heard his, his commission, and his commission was go and be witnesses. We've seen a lot of great examples of people who have been following Jesus in the book of Acts, and today we're going to look at a special couple, a great couple. I think you're going to enjoy talking about them, and we're going to come to the end of the book of Acts. They're in your books, and so for the visual learners in here, you're going to be real excited because you're going to get all the blanks filled in, hopefully, all right? But as we've studied through this time, we've seen that God uses a lot of different type of people. People that you wouldn't normally imagine that would be included in the story. And I think the couple today that we're going to talk about is very similar to that. Today we're going to talk about Aquila and Priscilla, the original power uh, couple. And as you hear the teaching about this, I think you're going to maybe hearken back as I was reading again about Aquila and Priscilla. I was thinking again about another power couple named Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible. And Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They were equal in essence. They were given roles. And God gave them a global mission. Well, Aquila and Priscilla are going to be like that as well. They were created in God's image. They were equal in essence. They had different roles. But God gave this couple also a global mission. And God wants to invite you also into that type of mission. It's not just for the people in the book of Acts. It's for us here as well today. And so let's, let's pick up the study there in Acts chapter 18 in your notes. And Paul has been traveling around, we know. And take a look at where he's at now. After this, uh, Acts chapter 18, he left Athens and went to Corinth. 
There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. So we're going to find out some things. Paul has come here to the city of Corinth, and he's found this guy named Aquila. And Aquila is a Jew, and he's come from Rome, and he's got his wife there, Priscilla. It doesn't say that she is a Jew, so she might be a Gentile. And they are married, and they had been living in Rome, but Emperor Claudius had kicked the Jews out of Rome. And now they come to Corinth, and Paul finds them, he meets them, and they connect, and they begin ministering together. So there's four or five lessons that we want to get from their lives today that we can apply even as we are living out the book of Acts. Number one, this couple started their ministry in the midst of difficult transition. Difficult transition. They had been living there in Rome. Everything was going fine. They were tent makers. Uh, they had maybe a thriving business. You get the idea that they're a successful couple. And all of a sudden, there is persecution that comes. Uh, Claudius, the emperor there, uh, we know this from history, at a, about 49 AD, he had kicked out, he had expelled the Jews from Rome. And we're not exactly sure why. The historians said they had been stirring up trouble, but was that just uh, the Romans uh, kind of uh, accusing the Jews, or was that really happening? Some think that it was Christians that were coming to Rome, and they were considered a Jewish sect, and so the Jews and the Christians may have been debating in the synagogues. Whatever reason, we know that around 49 AD, Claudius kicks them out and he expels them. And so they come, this couple now, what do you do? You're kicked out of your town where you have a thriving business, you have friends, maybe you have family, you've got your home and you're expelled. Well, they came to Corinth and they picked right back up where they had been and they keep ministering. And the lesson here for us, just right as we get, before we even see Paul, you know, it's interesting that overcoming great obstacles can sometimes be the very thing that sets you on the course for God's will in your life. Sometimes when we go through difficult times, sometimes when we go through challenging circumstances, I don't know how you are. Uh, sometimes I may feel like quitting. You may feel like quitting. Some of you may be in a situation right now where you just think, I think I'm just done. Uh, I don't want to mess with any of that. And yet they used it as an opportunity to be a launching pad for new ministry and new opportunities. And so just a, an encouragement here. If you're going through hard times, keep going, right? Don't sit down, don't camp out, don't pull the car over and just say, you know, woe is me, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Obstacles can be God's way to actually catapult you on to the next level, to do things that you would not have been able to handle. What do you do when hard times hit you? Do you complain a lot? Do you give up? Or do you pray and you say, God, this is tough. Now what do you want to use this in my life to do? I look back in my life, and God has done that at different times, times where I've gone through, through some valleys and challenging situations, and right on the other side, there was an open door. There was a light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't a train. 
and God used it to do something great. In my own family's life, I've watched this different times. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was an only child, which explains a lot. My mom and dad led churches. My dad was a pastor. My mom ministered, and they did a great job. And in 1968, we were living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My dad was a pastor there, and his time at that church came to an end. In 1968, he decided he was going to move to Wheaton, Illinois, and he was going to go to Wheaton College and and finish up a seminary degree. We moved, the family, the three of us moved down to Wheaton, Illinois, but as he got in and checking on things, it got difficult, and the money kind of dried up, and classes weren't opening, and he didn't end up going to school. We're living right across the street from Wheaton College. My bedroom window can look right there, and you can see the school, and God shut that door. My dad got discouraged, mom and dad, man, that was a hard time. They were, it was discouraging, money's a little thin. And so mom got a job and my dad got a job. And my dad, who had been a pastor, he got a job at a factory, international harvester, building tractor parts. And he had the midnight shift of all things. And he'd go in at night and he was feeling down, down, dooby, dooby, down, down, down. And he told me the story, and if you were his students, you heard him talk about this. He said, I just thought God was done with me. I, had, I was young, I was brash, I had made mistakes. Uh, God, will you ever use me again? And from 1968 to 1970, for two years, he worked in that factory. And my mom was working a job as well. And I remember he was so discouraged by it. But he said this, he said, I got so down and depressed there working at the factory. He said that, that I asked the supervisor, Boss, if I don't do something else here, I'm going to go crazy. He said, do you mind if I get my job cleaned up at night? And when I'm done, do you mind if I bring my Bible and I've got some notebooks and I just want to do some studying? He says, why would you do that? And dad says, well, because I'm a pastor. He said, sure, preach, go ahead and do that. You get your job done, I don't care what you do. And dad would get his job done and he had his Bible and he had his notebooks and he would sit there in the middle of the night in Chicago, Illinois and begin studying and writing down outlines of the Bible. And some of you who knew my dad, you know what he did. He took those notes and those outlines from that dark valley period and what did he do with them? He wrote a book. And that book went around the world. See, God took the time, and Dad would call that, if you were his students, you heard him call it the Dry Brook Institute, DBI. It was like uh, Elijah. God took care of him at the dry brook of his life. God will take care of you at the dry brook of your life. But you've got to look at it as an opportunity. In 1970, God opened a door for my family to go to Indiana, and Dad was a pastor, and Mom ministered to the deaf, and good times were around the corner. Use tough times to launch the next phase of what God wants you to do. Sometimes God does his greatest work in our greatest trial, in our greatest trial. So don't miss, don't miss what God's doing. Number two, their full-time ministry was also their career. Their full-time ministry was also their career. In 18.3 it says, And since they were of the same occupation, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. See, they were all tent makers. Paul had been a tent maker, and that was the way that he had a lot of times taken care of his own ministry as he traveled. They recognized, Aquila and Priscilla, they recognized that their work could also be their opportunity for great impact. For great impact. 
In other words, the fact that they were in the marketplace, the fact that they were buying and selling and they were dealing with lost people, they weren't just sitting in a synagogue studying all the time. They were in the marketplace, they were in the community, gave them an opportunity to minister. And this is something that's important. And we actually are here right now today, literally in the shadow of a great institution, a great university, right? And that great institution that uh, was born right inside this church, we're the Mama Church, it's a great school, they turn out ministers and all kinds of people, but, but especially pastors and missionaries, youth pastors, all types of things. The danger is sometimes is looking at people that are in ministry, they are the professionals, they are the experts, and ministry is only for the experts. I went over there to school, I studied to be a youth pastor, I've never been a youth pastor. I got a seminary degree uh, in religious education. Then I went on and got a doctorate of education uh, from the University of Sarasota, Florida. I'm educated. I've been ordained. It'd be easy for someone to look at me and say, well, you're a professional. You stand up here today and take the apple pen. You, you do what you need to do. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Yes, there are roles in the church. But ministry is for Everybody, Ministry is not just for the experts. And Aquila and Priscilla knew this, and you need to remind yourself of this. You, you're sitting out here today, you have careers, you have things that you do. But if you're a Christ follower, you don't have a career. You have a commission. You don't have a career. You have a calling on your life. You happen to be a teacher that's going to make disciples. You happen to, to own a company and that's going to be used for the glory of God. You do a lot of different things, but it's for God's glory. Ephesians chapter two says that we were created for good works. And so you don't just have a career that you can spend on yourself, you have a calling. In Hebrew, there's a, there's a word and it's, uh, it's the word avadah, avadah. And avadah is just a, a Hebrew word, and it means work, but it also can mean worship. And it's used inter interchangeably sometimes in the Bible, avadah. What a great idea that your work is your worship. Your worship is your work. It's one thing. You don't have Sunday morning and then the rest of the week. They're not divided. They are the same thing. Uh, yesterday I was down uh, at, uh, at the, one of the city parks there uh, on the riverfront and Lynchburg City Schools were out there and my wife teaches at Lynchburg City Schools and they were having a meet and greet day. What was so cool about walking around the park down there, all these tents and lots of the community and their families out there getting ready for school. What was cool was seeing a lot of you Thomas Roaders at all those different tents. There's a lot of you in here that work at different schools around the community or organizations that are serving our community. Why? That's the way it should be. We should be walking in any part of the marketplace that we live, that we're working, and we should shine the light of Jesus. So just because you're not up here or you're, you don't have a reverend or a doctor in front of your name or you have a different kind of doctorate in front of your name, God has called you to serve and to minister just as much. And we need to remember that. Number three, though they were tent makers, they also embraced the opportunity for missions. For missions. They didn't just see, well, we're here and we can't go anywhere else. We're here and it's missions and this is what we have to, uh, we're just here locally, we're going to make tents, we're going to work with Paul. No, they saw the world. They had already come from Rome and they were in Corinth and now God was going to take them other places. 
Verse 18, at the end of the chapter, after staying there for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria. So he's headed back east towards Syria, and he's accompanied by, look, he's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So their lives kind of lay out this way. At 49 AD, we already said that they had come to Corinth. So they had come from Rome, and then they came to Corinth, and now they stop in Ephesus. Paul keeps going towards Syria, but they stay in Ephesus. From Ephesus, they're going to go back to Rome, and then they're going to end up back in Ephesus around 66 AD. So about 17 years here of their lives, we're going to read about them. We read about them in six passages in the book of Acts. They were busy doing missions. Paul would go in and teach in the synagogues. They'd go city to city. Priscilla and Aquila are assisting him in all that he does. But the idea here is that they saw their lives focused on the great commission that God had given to all of the saints. And that's our opportunity as well. You live in Lynchburg. There may be some of you that have lived here all your life in central Virginia. Others of you, you've traveled all the way around. But all of our eyes should be out on the world, shouldn't it? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, here, there, and everywhere. God has given us the opportunity to do a lot of things with missions. Uh, You've heard this outline before. We can pray. We should be praying for those that are serving around the world. Uh, Brothers and sisters, maybe that you know. We should be giving. Thank you for giving to the Lord today. We take your money, which is actually God's money, and we share it with brothers and sisters, uh, partnerships, organizations, missionaries, church planners around the world. We can send people. Sending people is, is just praying over them and training them up. You see that a lot here. You've seen some ordinations this year. You're going to see some more ordinations in a couple of weeks right here as we've trained people. They've partnered with us here in Lynchburg, but now we're sending them out. And then, of course, you yourself can go. You can go. Pray, give, send, go. Thomas wrote, as you give and you pray, we support 80 missionaries, church planters, and organizations here at Thomas Road. 80. That is, uh, they're in 30 different nations, 30 different nations. That also includes 11 local Central Virginia Lynchburg ministries. We can't just bless people overseas. We need to be a blessing right here in our community, right? And so you are helping to do that. That doesn't count what we do with the Timothy Initiative, where you're planting churches all over the world. That doesn't include our, our uh, involvement with a Liberty Church Network that's about making disciples and planting churches, and making disciples around America and around the world. I think of uh, couples like the Nashes, Mark and Julie Nash. It was texting Mark this week. And as God sent them out from here, and they're using their skills, their gifts in organization and and construction and, and preschool and all kinds of ministries, they're using their skills there in Guatemala. What does God want you to do? Does he want you to pray, to give, to send, to go? Actually, probably the answer is yes, yes all of the above. Number four, this couple embraced their job of building others. Building others. It's interesting, while they're in Ephesus there and they're ministering as they did, it says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. So we have this man named Apollos. He's from the city of Alexandria, one of the great cities of the uh, ancient world. Uh, it was a Greek city in Egypt. The great library of Alexandria is one of the wonders of the world. Very educated man. And Apollo, uh, Apollos, he shows up here and he begins to teach in the synagogue. He's traveling through and begins speaking in church one day. And Priscilla and Aquila hear him and he's getting it right. That's right. That's right. It's about God. It's about salvation. It's about Jesus. It's about, it's about, but he stopped at John's baptism. And he had not heard the rest of the story. Remember, the story was still kind of new. And he wasn't preaching about the Holy Spirit, and they really need the Holy Spirit. And so what did Priscilla and Aquila do? They saw their opportunity not to stand up and say, excuse me, everyone, uh, could we get equal time? Uh, we're going to line up at the microphone here, and we want to tell you what's really right. Apollos, yeah, he's a nice guy, but he didn't get it right. Let us help you out. No, they didn't do that. Notice, instead of stepping forward and grabbing the mic themselves, they took him aside to help him do a better job in what God had for him. They did not attack him publicly. Now, this, there's a difference here between if there's heresy, okay? Everybody paying attention? If there's false teaching, if there's heresy, that's a different topic. But this is just the guy on TV's not getting it quite right, or he isn't preaching all of it. Or that person, that woman, she posted something on my Facebook page or my, my feed, and she didn't get all of it right. But what do we do sometimes? We publicly attack. And we attack to correct somebody that maybe was just a small correction, but we want to make sure everyone knows they were wrong. And what's the bi bigger thing? Sometimes we want everyone to know that we are right. So when you're correcting somebody, is it more about them or is it about you? They took him, they did not attack him publicly, but they encouraged him privately. They pulled him inside and said, Paulus, man, you do an incredible job. But let me tell you what, man, there's a few things you're missing and we're gonna help you. We don't need the microphone. We're gonna take you aside and we're going to teach you. Why? Because family cheers for each other, don't we? Family cheers each other on. I want to see you succeed. You should want to see this person succeed. If they get on stage up here and you didn't, you need to cheer them up. We need to be cheering each other on and helping to build platforms so each other can be successful. Why? Because family cheers. Family cheers each other on. And then number five, they use their own home as a place to reach others. And you could kind of almost miss this if you were just reading over it. In Romans chapter 16, it says Paul's writing, and remember these letters are going back and forth, and sometimes Priscilla and Aquila are with him, and sometimes they're not. But it says in Romans 16, give my greetings to Prissa, shortened for Priscilla, and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks from my life. We don't know what that episode was, but this couple rescued, protected Paul in a, in a powerful way. 
He says, not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. There was a church that met right there in their home. We already know that Paul lived with them, right? He stayed with them. So very first of the story, Paul comes into town and they opened their home, a new home because wherever they were living, because they used to live in Rome, and they opened their place to him. So not only is Paul staying with them, but now uh, Paul is writing to the Romans when they're in Rome. Remember, they're going to travel around. And he says, there's a church that meets in your home. There's one that we didn't list here. You may want to put down as well. 1 Corinthians 16.9. In 1 Corinthians 16.9, he, <clears throat> he says the same thing. He says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. They used their resources, what they had, and they opened it up for the Lord. They just said, God, it's all yours. They also didn't assume that the church just happens in the building. Well, it couldn't back then because the church didn't have a building, right? The church was the building. The building of God were the people. We didn't have church buildings for the first 300 years of the church. Now, I love this facility, don't you? I, I, we are so blessed with this building, this, this resource in the community that God has given us. We try to use it for the community. We try to use it to minister to everybody. I love the building, but Lynchburg has 80,000 people. They don't fit in this building. Central Virginia has 250,000 people. They're not fitting in this building on Main Street. It may feel like that on Main Street, but they can't. Now, we've got to open up not only our buildings but our offices, our factories, our plants, whatever it is, our homes, our backyards, our townhomes, our car, our boat, our trailer, whatever we have, we need to say, God, it's yours. And so, yes, you need to say, God, this is my place. I got a one-room apartment. God, could you use it? Could you use it? Ask him that. For 21 years, my wife and I, Chris, we have used our home for life groups uh, in Georgia and then here as well. We've had groups on Sunday morning that have met right in, in the church buildings, Wednesday nights in the building. But we've also, for a lot of years, 21 years, had groups that met in our home and in the homes of people that we knew in our neighborhood. Now, let me tell you, it, it's such a blessing to open your home and say, Refrigerator rights. Come on in and really get to know each other and be a light in your neighborhood. Now, specifically, yes, you know we have groups here at Thomas Road because it's biblical. And you may want to open your home. You're going to hear more about this in a couple of weeks. Uh, Catherine Moore with our uh, ministry team, she does a great job leading. And you can see her out at the Connect Center. Here's a shameless plug. Maybe we should just open our place for somebody to meet. We have a great young adult ministry. They're looking for places. Uh, Quincy and Steve Thomas, they're down front. You can come down at the, at the end. They need places for college age groups and young adult groups just to meet. You don't even have to teach. You don't have to preach. Just open up the door and, and, and puff the pillows up and rearrange the furniture a little bit and let God's people use the place to be a lighthouse. You say, but my place, but my place. Let, let me tell you what. Your job is not to evaluate or judge your place. Your job is to offer your place, because it ain't your place. 
It's not my place. It belongs to the Lord. And through their obedience, because of Aquila and Priscilla, you always see them offering up their homes and, and anything they had, through their obedience, the kingdom grew. The kingdom grew. Why? Because when we use our gifts, when we use our lives for God, it's powerful. We come to the end and their lives are listed six times. We've read, I've read you four of their, four or five of the passages where they were listed. They're also listed in 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. 2 Timothy 4, 19. And at the end of Paul's life, the last book he's writing, here's what he says. Greet Prissa, a little affectionate name for Priscilla, and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. The end of Paul's life, around 66 AD, he is remembering and saying, would you greet that power couple, Aquila and Priscilla? They were so powerful, and God used them, and I so appreciate their ministry in my life. So, what about you? What about you? We've come to the end of the book of Acts. We've come to the end of the study, but what about you? What are you going to do with what you've read about these people. That was their story, but it's also your story and my story. What about you? Well, let me call out a couple of you real quick. What about you, marrieds? Those of you who are married. Now, I'm not leaving out those of you who are single or pre-married, all right? All, t- all categories in here. Because this applies to everybody, but let me say, because we've read about Aquila and Priscilla today, this is a married couple. Now, I'm going to say some things. I don't know why you got married, but I know why you are married. You may have gotten married for a lot of different reasons. But why you are married, why God has given marriage as a friendship, loving, lifetime contract covenant is to glorify the Lord, to make us disciples of Jesus, and to help others be like Jesus. Marriage is one of the greatest discipleship tools on each other, isn't it? You say, boy, howdy. It will grow each other if you don't kill each other, right? Marriage has been given to you by God so that you can become more like God. Are you using your marriage for God? This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they used, notice what they used. They gave their job, their marriage, their home and resources for the mission. They said, our marriage is about God's mission. And I want to encourage you. That's the way I watch my mom and dad serve. That's the way my wife and I serve. And it doesn't mean we're always working in kids' ministry together or, or this ministry together, but we are a, we're, we're, we're a ministry team, my wife and I. If you could begin, married couples, seeing your marriage as a tool that God could use for ministry and start praying for people about your business or the, the classes that you teach, or the shop that you run, or the, whatever it is, begin to say, God, how could we as a couple do this? You know what? It might improve your marriage, and it may make your joy grow. Not it might, I'm telling you, it will. There's one more group here. What are you going to do about it, marriage? What are you going to do about it, women? Did you miss the fact today that it's about a man and a woman? Aquila and Priscilla. What's interesting, though, about Priscilla is 
They are listed six times in scripture. Do you know that four of those six times, Priscilla is named first and Aquila is named second? That means she runs the house. No, that's not what that means. Don't build it. Don't you build bad theology here. Paul wrote that. The same Paul who sometimes we debate and argue his other writings about women. Hello? Paul said Priscilla and Aquila, and here's what he said about them. They are co-laborers with me. Priscilla and Aquila, they are partners with me in the ministry. He didn't say, Aquila and I, man, we do the preaching, and Priscilla, well, bless her little heart, she sells the tapes and CDs out on, the, on Main Street. He didn't say that. He said that we are partners. And notice it says in, in chapter 18 here that Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside, and they both taught him. I know I'm messing with some of our, 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 our scripture today. It's not scripture. It's maybe what you've, you've thought. But they both did teaching. Aquila didn't say, hey, Apollos, come on in here, and the little lady will make us some sandwiches in the kitchen, but the men will talk about God's stuff. They were a team. They were a team. And God used both of them. Now, for you women in here, are there roles in the family and in the church? Yes, we believe that from Scripture. Yes. Is there a lot of debating about different passages? Yes. Are some things that Paul writes a little confusing? Yes. But don't miss the big picture of Scripture. Church, sometimes in religion, we lower women where God had no intention of them being. Sometimes we elevate women to a place that God did not intend for them to be. And the same way with men. We need to see women the same way that God sees women. And God always elevates and puts women in their proper place in partnerships and in the kingdom. Jesus honored women. You know that. In the face of Jewish and Roman culture where they were kind of looked down on. He had women disciples. He appeared first to women that their testimony would not have even stood up in a court of law. Paul travels with these couples. He ministers with them. Yes, different roles in the home, different roles in the church, yes, but equal in essence, equally loved by God, equally valued, and equally entrusted with the mission. Church, do you believe that? That's something that you believe? That's what God's word teaches. And so, yes, we need to study and we need to sort things out. But it's important that we need to understand that. I, I personally appreciate the women that minister and lead here on my team at Thomas Road. Toy Hine. Think about some of these women. Toy Hine. Jane Horry. Uh, Shawnee Roberts. Debbie Miller. I could go on and on. I appreciate their ministry. And so as we study Scripture, and we, we will do things properly and we, we obey Scripture. The church, let's be reminded by our God. And, and to, the, to the women in here, I would say, you... If you haven't heard it in a while, you are daughters of God. Amen? You are daughters of God. And you are sisters of Jesus. And you need to step up and take your place. And men, let me say this to us. Men, we need to value and partner in mission with our wives, our sisters, our mothers, our daughters. Why? Because when everybody in the family is doing what God has created them to do, the kingdom grows. 
and the family grows. So what about you? What about all of us? What are you doing as we have looked at Acts? What are you doing? Are you going to let your tough days be a catalyst for great days? Whatever you're going through right now, right now, could you use those days to let God do something great? Are you going to use your workplace as a ministry place? Lord, I will walk in Monday morning, and I'm not going to complain. I'm going to look around and say, how can we use this for the kingdom? God, what could we do? Have you prayed about going? Not going as in should I go, because God said, go. It's, God, how should I go? Where should I go? When should I go? And what are you doing to help others grow in their ministry that God has given to them? Acts ends with Acts 28 in the first century, but it really doesn't end, doesn't it? It's Acts 20, 21 today for us. You shall be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Go and make disciples in the whole world. That's the joyful mission that we've been given, church. I hope, I hope, and I pray that you will take that assignment on yourself. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we pray, I want all of us to stand together. As we stand together with your heads bowed and eyes closed, we've finished the book of Acts. And it's been real clear what God wants us to do. He wants us to go. Whether you are famous or nobody knows your name, it doesn't matter. Whether you have a lot of gifts or a few gifts, you do what God has for you. And so as we pray today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not on this mission. If you need to accept Jesus and accept his mission on your life, salvation for you, but also ministry. Come and talk. Our pastors are coming down around front. They're going to be here afterwards. We're going to sing our way out today after I pray over you. But you can come down and pray with anybody. Join this church. As Aaron said, find a way to serve in kids' ministry. Jump in. Get involved. But for all of us, let's hear our Father's voice this week saying, Go. I'm sending you. And do that with joy. Father, thank you so much for loving us. God, we are grateful for this book of Acts and all the people, the men and the women that we have read about and we've studied. Thank you that they were faithful to their calling. And now, God, we pray that you would be faithful in our lives. We know you will, but help us to be faithful to you. God, whatever any businessman or woman that's hearing, that's listening today, God, would show them how they could use their work for you. Any nurse or doctor or plumber or electrician or restaurant owner or waitress or school teacher or whoever it is, student. God, your calling is on all of us to make disciples. So Lord, we pray for each other. If anyone needs to cry out to you in repentance and confess you as Lord today, I pray that they would do that and accept you as their Savior. But God, thank you for sending us. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody look up here. You can come and pray afterwards. But here's what Jesus said. He said, go. He says, you go and make disciples. Let's go do that this week. Let's make this our song of commitment, our song of surrender, wherever you lead. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. 
If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.